Welcome to NeuroNoodles Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast featuring tech legend Jay Gunkelman. He is the man who has read well over a half a million brain scans. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. The NeuroNoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. Like our gold supporter, the 7th Annual Super Brain Summit at Bradley University, and our silver supporter, Mind Media. Join us at the 7th Annual Super Brain Summit at Bradley University Center for Collaborative Brain Research. It's featuring speaker Dr. Mary Frances O'Connor. She's the author of The Grieving Brain, The Surprising Science of How We Learn from Our Love and Loss. If you want to get more information regarding registration, contact Gwen Hoarter. She's at G-H-O-W-A-R-T-E-R at bradley.edu or call her at 309-677-3900. If you want if you want more information regarding programming, you can contact Dr. Lori Russell Chapin herself at 309-677-3186 or email lar at bradley.edu. Mindmedia.com. Get the latest EEG and neurofeedback technology from mindmedia.com. Their semi-dry sensor cap is a wonder to see and their EEG amplifiers have been trusted in the field for decades. Their neurofeedback and QEEG courses will get you up to speed in no time. Visit mindmedia.com now. So, um, uh, I'd, I'd like to focus on a paper that we just published. Okay, great. A, a case of intractable epilepsy. And uh, uh, she started out as a, a very young child okay. uh, with some uh, strabismus and was uh, uh, taught some tennis to help with her eye coordination. And she really liked tennis, um, but she started basically to decline. Uh, and uh, that the story kicks in at that point. But we've published this as a case study uh, Dr. Turner, Rusty uh, Turner, um, Robert Turner, MD, epileptologist. Great piano player. Yes. And, and uh, you know, former head of a, a level five epilepsy center, MUSC. So he's, he's a major figure in epilepsy, epilepsy treatments. And he was involved in the case. Uh, Sue Wilson, Vieta Wilson. Uh, who is a sports psychologist. She's well-known in the field. Uh, she's Sister Sue to me. I'm Brother Jay to her. And uh, we're, we're both uh, at retirement age and kind of poking at each other about it. But uh, she, she was involved in the case because she was involved in the tennis end of this and uh, uh, supporting the, uh, the, the uh, tennis end of it and then the mother was involved uh, because obviously uh, some of this was done at a distance they they moved over to barcelona and uh, and linda walker was involved in it because she supervised it online from michigan to barcelona uh so she uh, and you know i was involved in it because of looking at the eg and kind of designing uh, the intervention that ended up uh, making it all kind of click. Uh, so 
it, it's it's an it's an interesting case because not only is she seizure free, which is obviously the, the end goal, uh, and medication free, but she's also absolutely excelled in life. Uh, she just graduated dean's list and a tennis scholarship at a Division One university in the United States. You know, university credits, uh, that that's tough enough. Not too shabby. That's not uh, too shabby. And, and getting de Dean's List on that. And doing that well, you know, you were uh, an athlete. How much time is taken away from your your day when you're in the university uh, for your sport? I mean, the, the, the amount of time for workouts and – uh, uh, it's it, it's substantial. It's like a side job. It's a side job on top of your university studies, and you're paid less than uh, minimum wage. <laughs> well, not anymore well, nil, but <laughs> but you know she yeah she she went through all of that and graduated and and uh, is excelling in life. So um, starting as a young girl who declined and declined and then went into intractable epilepsy. Uh, and the doctors were suggesting they wanted to cut off a big portion of her right temporal lobe to potentially heroically try to stop the seizures uh, that weren't able to be stopped with medication. So I, I'd like to present a little bit about that case. Um, what we basically have is the, the paper. Uh, this is published in Neuroregulation and uh, uh, Intractable Epilepsy Controlled by Neurofeedback. They, they tried other adjunctive treatments as well, but basically neurofeedback was the thing that made this all work. And I described the uh, co-authors already, um, but the, this is basically uh, kicks into the, uh, into the paper in very great detail uh, little bit by little bit by little bit. But this is the uh, uh, first EEG. And this actually happened uh, when she was only 11 years old. And she was in the U.S. still. And they she was having some attentional problems. And they went to a person who sent their EEG actually to my company and we provided a, an EEG, QEG report back to the therapist who didn't share the report with the family, but merely designed the neurofeedback protocol based on it. And in the report, the doctor points out the temporal spikes and the beta spindles in the EEG. This is an abnormal EEG, and there's spikes coming out of the temporal lobe. This is the uh, left temporal. T5 is the old nomenclature, modified nomenclature, or 1010 nomenclature. This would be P7. It's a left parietal temporal junction. And uh, th th this is uh, an abnormal finding, and it wasn't acted on in proper manner, unfortunately. Um, they, they ended up having some benefit, um, and uh, the family uh, business and everything took them uh, overseas. And uh, the, um, uh, the, this is 
this is the spectra of the uh, EEG that we ended up analyzing. You can see the beta spindles up front. And the left temporal lobe has these slow uh, features in it. Uh, and the, the, the transients are best seen as the transients in the EEG. They, don't, they average out. They don't average up. But uh, uh, they, they, they basically moved overseas. Um, uh, this EEG, we actually have as a, uh, a full EEG. And uh, let's pop this open. So um, they, they had uh, actually had her start to be diagnosed as a temporal lobe epileptic. She was having intractable seizures uh, after they moved over uh, overseas. And uh, the, the doctors uh, basically suggested that the meds weren't stopping it. And th this is an example of the kind of finding you can see in the left temporal area, the uh, sharper and slower transients that are happening. But that's a little you know, minor thing. You can see the rhythmic slow uh, the, the slow rhythmicity suggesting it's coming out of the limbic system. And as we uh, continue into this, um, uh, it starts to act up a little bit. But she's going to end up having a complete seizure. Now, you could see that it all started. The bad actor, uh, the, the ring leader, uh, the, the trigger point uh, that, that called the gang together to all act out was this left temporal lobe area. And her aura was intestinal discomfort, uh, which suggests that the insula was involved with the source of this. And uh, so the, the discharge itself once it gets going, it's largest on the right side, which is actually the healthy side. It's the side that the doctors were going to cut out because it's where the obvious discharge happens. But the fatigued hemisphere on the left is actually the bad actor. This is just the dramatic side. And if you, if you follow this out, uh, you'll see that the right side fatigues out and then the left side is still going. So th this is a, a left temporal focus. And when you see the uh, pattern basically in phase, in phase, and then out of phase at CZ, that pattern usually has an, a, a source uh, that is... Image? Do you see the uh, image? Yeah. The red. Yeah, uh, sure do. Uh, um, uh, the insula is uh, this uh, crescent-shaped, uh, 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 deeply. It's it's insulated. It's got a cover. Um, it's it's buried down into the uh, into the brain, and it's got the 
operculum overlying it, the lateral frontal area, and the temporal lobe uh, covers the back portion of it. And the back portion of this, the sylvian fissure that goes down into it, and the insula, posterior aspect of the insula, in fact, uh, innervate the smooth muscles of the viscera. So when she has the discharge starting in the left temporal lobe, uh, the discomfort that she feels in the abdomen, uh, the in intestinal distress, basically, uh, is is because of the discharges that are happening in this cortical location. And then once this side starts to fire, uh, we end up with this side kicking in as well. And uh, th this has not just the posterior, it, it's got the entire insula and temporal lobe area involved in a, in a bit of the body area, the physical uh, seizure itself, uh, the, the motor aspect of it. So, um, Join us at the 7th Annual Super Brain Summit at Bradley University Center for Collaborative Brain Research. It's featuring speaker Dr. Mary Frances O'Connor. She's the author of The Grieving Brain, The Surprising Science of How We Learn from Our Love and Loss. If you want to get more information regarding registration, contact Gwen Hoarter. She's at G-H-O-W-A-R-T-E-R -E at bradley.edu or call her at 309-677-3900. If you want more information regarding programming, you can contact Dr. Lori Russell-Chapin herself at 309-677-3186 or email lar at bradley.edu. The, the, these source analyses basically allowed uh, us to design uh, the intervention uh, to try to address the discharges uh, by uh, going from CZ to the left temporal area and suppressing the, the, the discharge frequencies and training up the SMR band uh, to try to stop seizures. Now, uh, that, that's a classic um, you know, Sturman's work was SMR training. The only difference between just training SMR centrally, which was his approach, and this is that we have, you know, you can put an electrode at CZ, for instance, which could, could train SMR there, but you have to have two electrodes on for your amp to work. So a second electrode could go to a reference point, some, the ear or something, and you could train SMR at CZ. But if we put the second electrode in the discharge, which happens to be out of phase to CZ, you get good size voltage and you get to be operantly suppressing the discharge itself. So uh, designing that intervention, uh, they had tried a whole bunch of other uh, approaches and uh, they, they, uh, they quite often were oriented to training on the right side uh, because of the size of the discharge on the right side when it happens. But, um, you know, finally, uh, they uh, they got the data sent to me. I looked at this and said, well, uh, the the bad actor is not on the right, it's on the left. And, and this, given the source analysis, it explains her, her, uh, her aura and uh, as such. 
this is the this is the little uh, I don't know if you can see the picture of her. It's a little black. It's blocked with that uh, little square. But uh, if you send me the picture, I can pop it in later. Yeah, that that, that little square is going to be a blank spot for uh, all of this. Um, it ha had to do with the disconnect and reconnect. Yeah, yeah, no problem. We're good. We're good. Anyway, uh, um, uh, th this is her uh, and, and her neurofeedback sessions before she. Um, uh, uh, it's I I think it's instructive um, uh, to actually uh, flip through this, even if you've heard the story. Sure, sure. Because at, at, uh, it it goes through literally in in in, in incredibly good detail, uh, uh, clinical observations, what's going on with her treatment, and um, and what's how things are in her life, how many seizures, uh, what's what she's doing in tennis and so forth. So it's an, an interesting kind of three tracks side by side. Um, but this is the first EEG, uh, and it was actually, it showed spikes in the temporal lobe area and beta spindles frontally. And this was uh, be before they had gone over to Europe when she was receiving treatment for apparent ADD. You have to realize that spikes are present in ADD, for instance, a quarter of the time. And beta spindles are a variant of ADD uh, that, that uh, requires a different kind of medication and stimulant. So um, uh, that they, they did receive uh, treatment. Uh, you can see the beta spindle um, and at uh, at some point, uh, the family ended up moving over uh, uh, to Barcelona, and when she started to actually have uh, seizures, they were observed to be the big discharges on the right-hand side. And as I pointed out earlier, these are triggered by the left side in a much more subtle feature. Uh, and they're persisting on the left side after the big discharge ends. But the physicians who were doing the uh, proposed surgery for her were going to be cutting off her right temporal lobe. And that's where this big voltage is. But it's not what's causing the, the discharges. It's all being triggered here on the left. This is the spectra of the piece before the discharge. You can see the abnormality on the left side. Uh, when the discharge happens, it's still abnormal on the left, but the big voltages are happening on the right. And they were proposing a reception of the right temporal. Um, uh, this is her EEG uh, clean uh, after treatment. And um, uh, she basically is uh, uh, free of seizures and free of meds. Uh, this is sleep deprived. Uh, they had uh, traveled internationally and uh, the, the, uh, she was touring uh, through schools uh, to see where she might get a tennis scholarship and had to declare her epilepsy in medical history 
as part of uh, those uh, those uh, schools. So anyway, this is her seizure-free, medication-free, a little bit of finding in the temporal lobe area still, uh, but she ended up doing uh, 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 continued neurofeedback for peak performance. And uh, anyway, that's um, uh, that's the publication. It's got EEG sample in it, and um, the the full story in uh, extreme detail. Uh, it, it's a case study which doesn't carry as much weight as a case series. So we're we're piecing together more cases because, you, as you know, there are other uh, individual cases that we've got that are seizure-free, medication-free. And we're, we're going to try to piece together a case series and get that published in a neurology. Uh, what does it take to do a series, Jay? Well, you, you have to end up having a, a bunch of uh, patients, not just one. Um, and, and generally, it's not like two or three. A case series, you have to have a cluster of, of uh, clients to kind of um, demonstrate that the technique, you know, the, the, the range of variability on the technique or the range of applications. For is, it, is there a magic N or number? If you're going to do group analysis, the magic numbers do exist. But for a case series for clinical uh, treatment, there, there isn't really a magic number. Uh, uh, six to 10, somewhere in that range is enough to start to get attention. Uh, if you, if you have, you know, uh, 25, 30, it's, um, irrefutable. Um, but at this point, uh, given the, um, uh, very few practitioners who actually work with, uh, uh people with epilepsy and the, that do neurofeedback, um, it, it, uh, and uh, uh, cases that would have enough documentation, uh, a proper proper diagnosis by an epileptologist or neurologist, uh, good EG data to track, and you know, they'd it, have to be good cases to add in case report. It's not just the rumor of so and so had a case that got better, and you know that we'd we'd have to have you know case detail. So. And you know we've we've got about six now, so it, it's not you know it's the difficulty of uh, getting the uh, writing together and so forth. It took over a year for this to get uh, pieced together. It's just um, you know it's a, a group editing, and, um, and we actually hired a, a an editor to go through and touch it up as well uh, for submissions. Um, you know, they, they want, you know, 2,500, 3,000 words max. And we started out around 8,000. <laughs> so, uh, it had to be, uh, it, it cut down, uh, dramatically in order to you know, be something that would be publishable. But, uh, uh, the, the ability to take a client who's, uh, being told that they have to, remove part of their brain in order for them to end up having a chance, a half a chance only of being seizure free because brain surgery has only about a 50% success. 
uh, um, and that's unfortunate. Um, the the little focal lumpectomies that they do, where they take a little piece instead of a, the anterior third or half of the temporal lobe, they actually try to uh, pick the little piece that might be problematic. Um, their success rate drops down, but they will offer to go in and take another little piece. Uh, but there's a risk with every surgery. So. And neurofeedback can be done, uh, uh, it's a non-invasive procedure and it can be done uh, while you're uh, considering the surgery and uh, um, uh, perhaps uh, uh, totally avoid the need for it, uh, as, as in this case. And the, I think it's also important to note that this isn't just somebody who no longer has epileptic convulsive seizures. This is somebody who has a peak performance, you know, optimized life. Uh, it, um, it, it isn't just the absence of pathology. This is the optimization of function using the same techniques. Uh, so, it, it, um, you know, it, it, if something is significantly wrong, Neurofeedback helps to write it. But, you know, if you're a high performance, if you're going for high performance, uh, you, you have to do tune ups. And tune ups are extremely common. If, if you get into the uh, high performance uh, cars and stuff, I mean, they, they have people that have customized uh, programming on computers for their tuning. So they're, they're, uh, the, the higher the level of performance demanded, the, uh, the, the higher the level of uh, uh, training and control you need. So uh, you, you can transcend the pathology, but you can optimize the function. And I think that the optimizing of the function ends up being the, uh, the end goal here. And, uh, not just stepping away from the pathology, although that's a, a huge piece in and of itself. All right, Jay. See you next week, buddy. Bye bye. Bye bye. The Neuronoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you, like our gold supporter, the Seventh Annual Super Brain Summit at Bradley University, and our silver supporter, Mind Media. Join us at the 7th Annual Super Brain Summit at Bradley University Center for Collaborative Brain Research. It's featuring speaker Dr. Mary Frances O'Connor. She's the author of The Grieving Brain, The Surprising Science of How We Learn from Our Love and Loss. If you want to get more information regarding registration, contact Gwen Hoarter. She's at G-H-O-W-A-R-T-E-R at bradley.edu or call her at 309-677-3900. If you want more information regarding programming, you can contact Dr. Lori Russell Chapin herself at 309-677-3186 or email lar at bradley.edu. Mindmedia.com. Get the latest EEG and neurofeedback technology from mindmedia.com. Their semi-dry sensor cap is a wonder to see and their EEG amplifiers have been trusted in the field for decades. Their neurofeedback and QEEG courses will get you up to speed in no time. Visit mindmedia.com now.